joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Thank you for joining us for this program from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the 9th Avenue Church of Christ. We ask as parents a lot of time, what do you want? Parents, how many times do you ask your children that during the week? What do you want? Just, just tell me what you want. What do you need? Jesus has this question and conversation with us. And I think it's important for us to think about as well as children of God. Jesus is asking us the same thing. What do you want in your life? What do you want from me? And that's really where we get to kind of at the end of this idea. Maybe uh, the lesson maybe goes in a different direction than you think it would. But let's, let's begin our text together. We'll start in verse 32 of chapter 10, and we will read through uh, different sections, make some observations, and then wrap up with two big observations from the end of the text. So he begins and verse 32 says, They were on their way up to Jerusalem when Jesus leading the way, or with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. So he, we begin this conversation, we begin this story, I guess, with they've, Jesus has been ministering, Jesus has been, been healing people, Jesus has been, but he's been working his way to the cross. He's been working his way to the cross and I believe that there is this sense amongst the apostles in particular, and maybe the closest of the disciples, that what does he say? This says they were astonished. I think they had this idea that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he is fixing to restore the kingdom, right? He's fixing to restore the kingdom in an earthly way. He's fixing to establish his kingdom, and they are just in awe of Jesus. I mean, think about it, though. Think about all the things in the three years that they've been with Jesus, all the things that they've seen him accomplish. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him raise people from the dead. They've seen him calm the storm. They've seen him take just a, a lunchable and turn it into a buffet for everybody. I mean, it's they've seen him do so many things. And in their mind, they are astonished by him. And even though he's told them a couple of times, I'm going to go die, I believe there's a part of them that's like, there's no way, there's no way this is going to happen, right? There's no way that they are going to get one up on Jesus. They are astonished by him. And I think they're ready. Peter kind of has this attitude, you know, a little bit later of, hey, even if I, I'll die with you, Jesus, right? Like if this is a revolution, if this is a revolt, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm going to die with you. And they, there's this kind of, excitement amongst them as they're marching to Jerusalem. But the other people that are around, they're what? They're kind of afraid. There's, there's a nervous tension within the group that's following Jesus. And I don't necessarily think that everybody is purposefully following Jesus because they're on their way to Passover. And everybody is just going in that direction. Now, Jesus is leading the way, and he's leading his followers, but I also think there's probably a, a, a good group of people that's probably just ended up in the group, and they kind of see what's going on, and they hear what's happening, and hear the conversation, and they're getting a little nervous about what they might be walking in with, and walking in too. And so Jesus, I think, he kind of sees what's going on, so it says again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. It's the second or third time he has this conversation with them and tries to get them to understand what's about to take place. And I love 
kind of like last week's conversation on on the on the on, on the seashore. It's kind of a private thing. It's it's just it's just the close group. It's just the apostle. He pulls them away from everybody and says, "Hey, we need to talk about this." So let's keep going. Let's keep going into our story here. But it says, this is his conversation. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So he's, he's trying to lay out this picture. He's trying to say, this is what's going to happen. You're excited about something, but you're excited about the wrong thing. Yes, I'm going to establish my kingdom. Yes, I'm going to do what I came to do, but this is the way it's going to happen. And are you really sure that you want to be a part of this? Are you really sure you're excited about the right thing? And, and he's just he just lays it out. And I think one of the words here that's, to me, that's so important to understand Jesus' mindset is the word delivered. It's the word delivered. He doesn't say we're going to go fight. Delivered is, is a word of, of, of giving up in, in a sense, right? It's not a very hostile word. It's I'm going to just let this happen. We're not going to put up a fight. We're not going to make a big deal out of it. We're not going to cause all this drama around it. I'm just going to be delivered. But I don't think you're excited about what you think you're really excited about. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, to me, again, back to being a parent, this sounds like your kids, right? We're going we're gonna to preface the conversation. We're going to get our yes before we even ask what really we want to ask. And Jesus, I believe Jesus knew what they were going to ask. But Jesus looks at them and says, what do you want me to do for you? I believe we can have a lot of conversation about his response here. His response to me is setting up a very selfish answer in some ways. Instead of what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is on his way to the cross, right? Jesus is on his way to the cross. Jesus has just had this conversation with them about, about I'm fixing to go and die. I mean, look at what he just told them. What did he just tell them? He said, they're going to hand me over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, Flog him, kill him. He's just told them all these terrible things that's about to happen. And then he goes, okay, so what do you want me to do for you? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, it's maybe not sarcastic, but it's kind of like, okay, let's just make sure, it's, make, make sure you have what you need. Make sure you have what you want. And this was their reply because it was in that direction. He goes, let one of us sit at your right and the other sit at your left in glory. Now, this is kind of an ongoing conversation that's been happening amongst the disciples. If you take your Bibles and flip back just a page or two, and go to chapter 9 and verse 33, they are, the, the disciples amongst themselves began to kind of have this same argument, the same conversation. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he, saw, see, when he was in the house, he asked them, what are you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. 
And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So there's there's kind of this tension amongst the apostles themselves, and they're arguing over when Jesus, maybe when Jesus isn't there anymore, who's going to be in charge? Who's the greatest of us? Who's going to sit at his right? Who's going to sit at his left? And finally, James and John, you know, they kind of represent two-thirds of, I guess, the inner circle of Jesus here, right? They kind of represent, the, uh, they, they, they have the majority of votes, I will, of, of I would guess, of the, the, the big three, his closest friends. And they were like, hey, we want to know, can we be the greatest? Can we be the most important? And, and to some degree, I think the conversation makes a little bit of sense because th- they are the ones that Jesus picked, right? They are the ones that Jesus said, you're my 12 guys. And then they had the, one of the closest relationships with Jesus of all the other disciples. But they are totally missing what's going on. Their response to Jesus, hey, I'm fixing to die here. Their response is, well, if you're going to die, put us in charge. And he looks at them and he says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? What's he saying? He goes, you don't want what I'm fixing to deal with. You're not ready for this. You think you are. You're all excited because you think you know what's going to happen, but you have no idea what is about to take place. And your thoughts and your heart, they're in the total wrong direction. This is something that I thought about this week, and it really applies to this because in the path of faithful, the crown of glory awaits solely through the trials of the cross. What these guys are wanting is they're wanting their crown without the cross. They're just wanting to be, they're wanting to be the most important. They're wanting to be the ones of authority. They're wanting to be the ones that everybody looks at them. They want them to look at James and John. They want everybody to look at them as everybody was looking at Jesus. And he says, you don't get it. You're missing the idea here. They respond with, hey, we can. They answer, Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm I'm, I'm sorry, that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Basically, he looks at him and says, there's going to come a time that you will have to die, die for me. You're going to have to deal with this at some point. But then I also love the last statement here where he says, this, the place isn't for me to, to assign. And to me, there's beauty in that because it shows Jesus just saying God is in control. He's showing that even as, even as part of the Godhead, he has emptied himself of authority. He has emptied himself of all of his godliness, if you will. And he's saying, I live under God. And if there is a place to be had of power, a place, a special seat to be had, it's not me that that assigns that. It is God himself. And and he he lived under that. Well, then the other guys here, when the uh, 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think they're indignant the same reason that Jesus was aggravated? Or do you think they're mad because, well, they beat us to it? They're all wanting the position, right? They're all wanting the position, and they get aggravated that James and John had the conversation. But then again, Jesus does this with us. He does this with his apostles. Jesus called them together. He brings them all and gets them together. He's like, hey, we've got to talk about this. And this is really, I believe, where we see the heart of Jesus and the heart of what we need to know 
from this particular passage. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over him. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For Jesus, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is having the same conversation over and over and over with these guys. And he's trying to get them to understand the focus in the right direction and to understand what they've been called to. And he just lays it out for them. And he says, to serve, to be great does not mean to put yourself in greatness. It means to serve yourself to greatness. So here's some things that I believe Jesus is trying. A couple of things that I want us to know and grab from here. It's the first thing Jesus says, I came to serve you. I came to serve you. I believe that a lot of times we think of Jesus in this idea of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and He rightfully demands and deserves those titles. And we think of Him as God, and we think of Him as someone that we bring things to, and we serve Him, and we try to give honor and glory to Him. But Jesus actually says as He's talking about Himself, not us talking about Him, but as He's talking about Himself, He says, you need to understand something. I actually showed up to be a servant. I showed up to serve you. And he does the same thing still for us today. Our relationship with him is not just about us giving to him and us being about him, but he says, I am here to serve you. And that word serve, the, the word servant in our text, actually, it's the same word as waiter in the Greek. He is our waiter. He is the one that comes and takes care of us and meets our needs. And I, and I think that that's a challenging idea for us because we do have a lofty view of Jesus, a godly view of Jesus. And like I said, we should. But we also need to understand that He is here to take care of us. He is here to serve us. And Scripture lays it out. And we need to have that, that relationship with Him and allow Him to live in that relationship in that way. So ask ourselves the question, how does Jesus serve you? How does Jesus serve you? And there's three things, and we'll hit on them quickly, but I think they're important for us to understand ways that we benefit from this particular relationship with Him. Is The first is He refills your spirit. Listen, there are times in our life where we are empty. There are times in our life where we are empty that we are tired, that we are exhausted, that we feel like we don't have the strength to deal with one more thing in our life. And Scripture tells us over and over that in those moments, we are refilled not by our own strength, not by our own power, but through the power and the strength and the Spirit of God. And He gives us everything we need to continue going, to refill our life, to refresh our life. I love what Paul writes in Romans 15 and verse 13. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Our life as children of God is to be an abundant life. It is to be a full life, an overflowing life. And we don't live that by ourselves. We only live that by Jesus filling our lives, by Jesus giving those things to us in our life, filling us with joy, filling us with peace. and. But now here's, here's the thing we got to understand. 
we can allow Him to not do this. If you're not a joyful person, you could be that way because you're refusing to allow God to fill you up with joy. If you're not a peaceful person, you could be that way because you're not allowing Him to fill you up with peace. If you don't feel like your life is abundant in the Spirit, it could be and probably is because you're not allowing Him to fill you up with His Spirit. We can shut this stuff out. We can look at him and say, I don't want this relationship with you. I don't want you to serve me. But to have that true relationship with him, we have to allow him to fill us and refresh us in, in, in ways that we can't do that ourselves. Then we can live that abundant, that overflowing life. He opens doors to our salvation, or rather the door to our salvation. You know, we, we take... Opening a door is a very simple thing in the world, right? To get from here to there, you got to open. Matter of fact, someone just shut the door back here. And but open the door is just a very normal thing. We don't think about how important doors are and how easy they are to open and shut and all these things. But Jesus says, Jesus says that I am the door. I am the way. He says, You do not enter the kingdom unless you enter through who? Through me, he says. He says, I've opened the door for you to walk into a salvation relationship, to walk in to have your sins washed away, to walk in to be a part of the kingdom, to walk in to be added to the family. But you have to decide, am I going to allow him to do that this morning? Am I going to walk through the door of salvation that he has opened for me? He goes, let me serve you. Let me open the door for you. It's all right here. Come on in, he says. But you have to decide to walk through that door with him. The last thing I put on our slide here is he responds to your prayers. He responds to your prayers. First John 5, starting in verse 14, he says, This is the confidence we have when approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Whatever we ask, he, he, he hears us. Whatever we ask, that we have what we ask of him. Isn't that a beautiful passage for us to remember as children of God? That as long as we're, we're praying in His will, as long as we're praying with the understanding of what God's trying to do, and we're trying to be faithful to Him and not selfish to ourselves, that when we pray and ask God what? He hears our prayers. The, the Creator of the universe listens to us. There's nothing more frustrating in life than when I try to talk to somebody and they don't what? Listen. Especially, especially when... And, and I, I've just kind of kept this idea as I was working on this section, this idea of sitting at a restaurant, right? Because he's our waiter, he's our servant, he's our server. And, and that's kind of the, I kind of kept those ideas here, you know, he refills. There's nothing more frustrating at a restaurant when you're thirsty and your waiter or waitress doesn't what? Refill your drink, you know, and you do the, you do the, the glass, the, the, the jiggle, right? You jiggle the, the ice around or you go... You know, to make sure they know that, that there's nothing there, right? But what's even worse is when the, the waiter or waitress walks by and go, hey, I need a refill, and they don't what? They don't hear you. And then you tell them again, hey, I need a... When you have a waiter or a waitress that doesn't listen to you, how does that affect your dinner? It's real frustrating, right? But then you've got those waiters and waitresses that are just top-notch, right? They're just top-notch, and, and they are the best. We had one one time that... He was the absolute worst waiter we had ever had. And I will never forget this moment. I mean, like the manager came out and took him off the floor because he was so terrible. 
and my Blair's stepdad still left him a really good tip. And we were like, why are you doing that? He goes, probably the last tip this guy's ever going to get. You know, Jesus came to serve. Jesus is the greatest servant of ours. And that's hard for us to admit. But he says, that's who I am. But he serves us to bring us the greatest benefits of life, to refill us, to save us, to listen and respond to us when we need him. We just have to allow him to serve that role in our life. And it's not just one way. We can't just allow him to be that and us not give back. Because to me, that's what the next idea is about. He said, I want to make you great. He says, I've got a purpose for you. He says, for you to become great, you must be what? You must be a servant. He said, I want you to be like me. I came to serve. And if you want to be great like me, if you want to be known, if you want to be these wonderful things that you have in your mind, he goes, you do that by being a servant. You do that by being like me. So then I asked myself the question, how do we serve like Jesus? And I believe four things very quickly that we see in Scripture and other places that will, will help us to live this way. Number one is we have to go to people to serve them. We have to go to people to serve them. Jesus, Jesus didn't serve from a distance. Jesus didn't serve from a distance. Jesus didn't stand back and go, hey, go take care of this and go, or if you do this, everything will be great and fine. It wasn't, it wasn't a counselor mentality. If you've got problems and challenges in your life, you call a counselor, you call a doctor, and you go what? You go to them. That's kind of the world that we've set up. And we've kind of done church the same way in the past is we've kind of had this idea that if you need to get things right with God, you need to come where? You need to come to us. You need to come sit with us. You need to come worship with us. You need to come study with us. But Jesus didn't say, come to me. Jesus what? Went. In the Great Commission, he doesn't tell his apostles, all power and authority has been given unto me. Therefore, tell everybody to come to you. He says what? Therefore, go. Say it again. Therefore, go. It's great to be here this morning. We all are, are, are blessed to be here this morning. But this hour in this building, this does not make us great Christians. It doesn't make us great Christians. But I can't tell you how many times I've said in the funeral, and I've heard people say, well, they were there every time the door was open. And that's great. But more so, we're going to be judged on what we do when we leave this place. What are we doing when we go? How are we going? How are we serving other people? We have to go to people and serve them. Jesus was a prime example of that. He was on the go for three years serving anybody and everybody that he could. He didn't sit in a synagogue. He didn't sit at the temple. He went. And for us to serve like Jesus, we have to get out of this building, and we have to be involved, and we have to serve other people. The next thing that we see here is we have to serve others despite being uncomfortable. I think a reason that we've gotten into this mindset of come to us is because it's the most comfortable place to be. I don't have to get out of my comfort zone. I don't have to really, you know, I don't have to really know what your problems and your challenges and your struggles are if you come to me. I can just love you while you're here and hey, love Jesus. Jesus loves you. Everything's going to be great, right? And move on. No, we have to be able to be uncomfortable with people in uncomfortable situations because the truth is that when people need help when people need to be served, when people need to be blessed by God, it's usually because their life is in a mess. 
And we have to be willing to roll our sleeves up and get into the mess with them and help them find Jesus to straighten those things out. Jesus did that in his life. We have to stay with people you serve. We have to stay with people you serve. Jesus didn't make a weekend visit to die on the cross. Jesus lived with people. Jesus served and ministered with people. He made it a goal to get to know people and have relationships with people. We have to, we have to stay with those people that we serve. And then finally, we have to serve people physically and spiritually. There's, there's a lot of places that we can go where we can see where Jesus took care of physical needs so that he could then take care of spiritual. And we have to be willing to do the same thing, to meet people where they are, to solve problems that they have in the moment. And they may not have anything to do with Jesus in the moment, but ultimately we can lead to that place. But we have to serve like Jesus. And it all starts with realizing that it takes place outside of this room. Not that this room isn't important, not that we shouldn't be here this morning and any time that we have the opportunity, but our life is lived outside of these doors. Our faith is lived outside of these doors. And he says, for you to be great, you have to walk out of these doors this morning. And it doesn't matter how great you've sung. It doesn't matter how many songs you've sung. It doesn't matter if you've sung them correctly. It doesn't matter if you've done communion correctly. If you walk out these doors this morning and you don't walk out sharing your faith with others, you're not living the life that Jesus has called us to. It's not about being in here and being great. It's about walking out that door and being a servant this morning. And we have so many opportunities every single day to do that. And we have to take advantage of them as often as we can. So Jesus asked us this morning, what do you want? And he says, be careful what you ask for because you may be asking for the wrong thing. Instead, you need to be a servant. I found this Yesterday, as I was kind of finishing up some study, and, and, and I love the idea that this author shares, he says of all the times we see the bowing knee of Jesus, none is so precious as when he kneels before his disciples and washes their feet. In Jesus' day, the washing of feet was a task reserved not just for servants, but for the lowest of servants. In this case, the one with the towel and basin is the king of the universe. Hands that shape the stars now wash away filth with the passionate moment, or what a passionate moment, when Jesus silently lifts the feet of his betrayer and washes them in the basin. Within hours, the feet of Judas, cleansed by the kindness of the one he will betray, will stand in Caiaphas's court. Remarkable, he forgave their sins before they even committed it. He offered mercy before they even sought it. Even more, he is still cleansing us. John tells us we are being cleansed from every sin by the blood of Jesus. In other words, we are always being cleansed. The cleansing is not a promise for the future, but a reality in the present. Jesus washes our feet for two reasons. The first is to give us mercy. The second is to give us a message. And that message is simply this. Jesus offers unconditional grace. We are to offer unconditional grace. To me, that's what being a servant is really about, is that it doesn't matter who you are or what's going on in your life, the love of Jesus is for you. The mercy of Jesus is for you. The salvation of Jesus is for you. And it's not our place, it's not our job to argue about who's the greatest or who deserves it. It's for everyone. 
And Jesus lived his life every single day to remind us of that and calls us to be the feet washers of our world as well. Let's close with a word of prayer. And then we'll have the invitation. God, we thank you for the chance, the blessing of being here today. As we've said, we're reminded a little more today of how great of a blessing it truly is because we've missed interaction over the last week with, with so many people. And we are just grateful that uh, we've, we've made it through the past week and that everyone is uh, well and safe and that we've been blessed to deal with it in a, in a world with so many conveniences, God, that we don't have to go without during times like this. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for your son's sacrifice, his willingness to come and be a ransom for us and to, to free us from our slavery to this world. But help us to remember, God, the importance of being a servant for you every single day and to live in a relationship where, where we serve you and allow you to serve us. Help us to see that as a two-way relationship, God. And we thank you for the way that you take care of us and bless us and serve us. But help us when we do come before you and we ask for things to not do so out of selfishness, but to do so out of true understanding of how powerful and wonderful you are and how much you love us. Help us to be servants in our community as we get back out into our normal routines this week. Help us to see the opportunities that you lay out in front of us. Help us to, to be workmen in your kingdom, to be soldiers in your kingdom, to just serve every opportunity that comes before us. Help us to be great by being servants, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hours giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus.